Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today, we get our vamp on and talk about a twisted teen classic. We also dive into some board game etiquette. It's time for a top three turf war. One of the new favorite shows on my list is What We Do in the Shadows, and it's all about these goofy vampires. So it got us thinking about vampires as a whole and like not vampire movies per se, but what are the best vampires in the entire universe of fiction? Yeah, like television and film. Exactly. So, Ivana, what is your number three in this top three turf war? My number three is Ellie from Let the Right One In. That is a very good choice. Uh, why Ellie and is this the United States version or the Swedish version? Oh, good question. Most definitely the Swedish version. I'm definitely a purist when it comes to this movie. I actually must admit I have not seen the U.S. version one. It's on a streaming service I have and I almost put it on. <laughs> I I don't know. The I, I just find this character both creepy and innocent and that duality is fascinating. I mean, she is just so scary and yet so lovable at the same time. And I think that that captures the essence of what it is to be a vampire. Well, my number three is a little more warm and fuzzy. Oh, what is it? Mine is Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, he's a little warm and fuzzy. He's definitely warm and fuzzy. I mean, when he is angelus, he's less so and terrifying and all the things that you said about Ellie. I mean, those are parts of him, though. He is Angelus in his own way. Sure. Uh, But the other time he's, you know, holding Mr. Gordo or protecting Buffy. And as I am a Bangel fan, he had to make the list. I am. I'm in love with their relationship, probably more so than his vampire ways. But I love the idea of the vampire with a soul. But then you want, you also want your vampires to be vampires as well. So you need a little of the meaty soulless as well. The thing that makes Angel not reach my top three, he's not in my top three. He's just a little too broody. He's so negative all the time. You know what I mean? He is on a pathway to redemption. I know. He could be a little bit more optimistic while he's at it. Well, you know, you didn't watch all of Angel, did you? No, but I have gotten a good ways through, actually. Like, he has his moments of happiness in that show. Yes, but I feel like the true Angel, maybe I'm just crazy, but like Angel to me is the Angel from Buffy, and then he also got this other show. That's okay. What is your number two on your top three turf war? So... I didn't know her character name, but her character name is Santanica Pandemonium. What a cool name. What in the hell movie is this from or book or wherever you swipe this? So this is Selma Hayek from From Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I've seen that movie a million times. They never say her name. They never say anything. She's just this terrifying, sexy vampire. Exactly. Vampires are known for being sexy, and I just thought this is the sexiest vampire I can think of, while also 
again, she's got that scary side because as soon as she turns into her like monster form, man, that's scary. She's like straight up reptile. Yeah, exactly. And so I think there's something subversive about the character because she is really sexy and she uses that sex as a trap, almost like she was a Venus fly trap. So I thought that was really cool. It was a way of like taking your power back as this female character that I thought was interesting. And then also, I mean, vampires and sexiness are synonymous. So you got to have at least one vampire on your list that's sexy. I like that you put that on because I think she has all of six minutes of screen time in the entire film. So yeah, kudos to you for, for putting a vampire who has the craziest name, the sexiest vampire of all time, uh, and the least screenplay, probably at least out of mine. Well, I mean, you remember her though, right? Of course, you can't forget her, especially when I watched that movie as a as a young teenager, and I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so my number two is Blade. Oh, good, vampire. I've actually not seen, well, maybe I have when I was little, but I, not to my memory, any Blade movies, so I'm happy that he's on your list. Somebody recently asked me, who is the best cast member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I said, hold on. Do you mean Marvel as a whole? Because if it's Marvel as a whole, nobody else can play Blade other than Wesley Snipes. Cool. Although I bet you they will probably reboot that at some point. Uh, sometime. But I, I mean, my Blade is Wesley Snipes. Not to mention, it is a crazy cool world-building kind of first two movies. The third movie is a little crazy. But the first two movies are exceptional. He is stoic. He's a hero. He's also a complete badass. And he's got the greatest gift any vampire can have. He can go out in the daylight. Yeah, he's a daywalker. He's like half vampire though, right? Like he's not full. Right. His mother was pregnant with him and then was bitten by a vampire. Cool. And then did she become a vampire? Well, if you can't remember, I am not going to spoil anything for you. Oh, it's a reveal in the movie. It sure is. We should watch Blade. Okay. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> what, is your, what is your number one on this list? Oh, I'm so excited for number one. You're going to hate my number one. Oh, I'm sure I will. I just know it. Um, Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got nothing against Spike. He's just not Angel. That's the thing. He's so much better than Angel. What I love about Spike is that he like does these horrible things and he's a bad guy in the beginning of the show and you really get to experience that. And then is it that he gets given a soul or does he just through his love of Buffy, I'm now forgetting. He earns a soul in the trials after he... After he tries to rape Buffy, he leaves and he's like, I'm going to give her what she deserves. And then he goes through all these trials and is ensouled again. 
Which makes him go crazy. Right. But that means that he started to like behave well and do the right thing even before he had a soul. And this. Uh, because he had a chip in his head and he could hit bad things, but not good people. Exactly. But this is the thing, though. There are those elements of Spike, like what they did with him as a character. I thought it was really cool and interesting. And I'm so happy you remember all the details. I clearly don't. <laughs> it is my favorite show of all time. And also, he was just the sexiest. Oh, God. There was that, that sex scene between him and Buffy, and they literally break a house down with their, like, angry sex. And it was the hottest thing. Look, I get it. I understand. This is a very sexy scene. But Buffy gave Angel so much peace and contentment that he was re-ensouled with sex. Like, that is, that's amazing. It is. But the bliss is not necessarily the sex. It's the contentment and happiness that she brings. I don't know. I just think that she's able to turn a vampire into wanting to be good. That's so much more powerful to me than... Having a moment of true bliss turning you evil again, you know? Yes. And even though there is so much love between Buffy and Spike, I have to throw it out there. In the finale, Angel shows up and immediately they start kissing because they are so true for each other. I think the thing that makes Spike that much better for me, too, is he knows that she'll never pick him, but he loves her so much anyway. Because she doesn't love him, you know? She's very, she has complicated emotions about him. And there's something so romantic about someone who accepts that and is like, no, I, either way, even just some time with you is good enough for me. Which is amazing. The interesting thing is they have so much sex in season six. And then in season seven, they never have sex. It's all about the actual deep connection that they share. They never have sex again because he he ruined it. Like, like she can never be physical with him again because it will trigger you tried to rape me. That's such a hard scene to watch, too. It is a hard scene to watch. It's, a, it's like I have friends who haven't gone on to season seven because they can't get past that scene. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I need to rewatch this series. Yeah, I don't know why we're not doing that right now. <laughs> uh, so my number one is Dracula. I'm glad that Dracula is on your list. And, and the reason for it is, and it's not because it's like specifically out of the novel or specifically the Adam Sandler Hotel Transylvania version or the Van Helsing movies or the A Million other renditions of Dracula. It is in fact because of those renditions and that he's been changed so much over the course of time since that first Universal Pictures film. And he was he was one of the original monsters. That's true. I just think I mean he was in Buffy. He was in Blade. <laughs> he he is the vampire. <laughs> He was like the first. There's so many interesting origin stories. There was a movie in the, the 2000s called Dracula 2000. I remember the movie coming out. 
they proposed that Dracula was Judas and that was his penance. He had to he had to become a vampire because he sold out Jesus. That's cool. It was totally cool. It was very rad. But this is why Dracula is the number one for me. It's just there is so much lore. Like we can love on Spike and Angel and Blade and Ellie all we want, but no, they're never going to touch that height of Dracula. You know, you're right. Dracula deserves to be the number one spot on our joint list. The number one spot. I love when you say that. It like gives me <laughs> tingles. Okay, I'm okay. I will take that. Um, does that mean I got to put Spike at number two? I want Ellie on this list. Okay, I'm going to do something crazy. What are you going to do? What if we put Ellie at the number two position? Yeah. And we put Blade in the number three position. Well, then we have no Buffy representation at all. Yeah, that's what I'm suggesting. Oh, my God. And and I think this is fair because you're Team Angel, I'm Team Spike, and in our joint list, no Buffy at all. Yeah, I'm okay with that because we'll never agree. Like, I'm Bangel, you're Spuffy. It's never going to happen. So, all right, let's count this down. Number three, Blade. Number two, Ellie. And the number one vampire of all time, Dracula. Sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun one. There's so many vampires. It was actually really hard to choose. Oh, it was super hard to choose. I knew I wasn't going Twilight, even though I read every single one of those books. Me too. I read all the Twilights, but they didn't make vampires that stuck out. They really didn't. Like, vegan vampires? You know you're not getting on a list. Vegan vampires. All right, Jay. We have been chatting a whole bunch. It sounds like you are getting super burnt out. My my life feels, like, overwhelming all the time right now. Oh, yeah. I've really dived hard into work. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm just too overwhelmed to do much else. So my question to you is, how do you know if you are, in fact, burning out? I think there starts to be a point where you just mustering up the energy to care takes so much out of you and your actual performance degrades. And that's when you really get into that burnout phase. Yeah, like lack of focus starts happening and Yes, and, and exactly. Like you just have all these that normally thoughts took in you your brain. no time at all or all of a sudden taking you real long. Yes, that's it. That is burnout exactly. All right. So that is a hundred percent where I'm at. So I need to take like a break. Sounds like you should unplug for an extended period, maybe take a long weekend. I know that it's not always easy because you tend to get burnt out after like long periods of sustained crazy amounts of work. Like we just launched two shows and there's another show on the way and all of them have campaigns and I'm, I'm trying to juggle all of them. So it has been a little crazy. Wow. Are they good shows? Are you excited to be like... On Listen, these shows? one of the shows has a dog as a cop. Oh, I love the sound of that. It's like his human partner and then the cop, the cop dog. You're plugged in. Mind your manners. This is Tech Ticket. 
We haven't done Tacticate in a while, and this is going to be a little bit different because while it falls into that kind of geeky territory, there's only a little bit of tech involved, and that is board game etiquette. You know, I respect that. I think that belongs in our Tacticate section because board games are coming back with a vengeance. Yeah, they are. There are game nights happening probably tonight as we record this. That is very true. I just, Kate, I had one on Saturday. What'd you play? Um, Sherlock Holmes mystery game, which we failed spectacularly at. It's a cooperative and it was like past midnight. People were exhausted and we were just, that's it. We're done. We can't do this anymore. That game is only supposed to take an hour. It took, I mean, we dilly dallied getting to it, but maybe two hours. No, that game can take a long time. It even says on the box. It said on the box more than 90 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. I believe you. It's a cool game though. I I know the game you're talking about. Uh, So I have dived like real deep into board games. If you've been listening, you know this for a while I have been really into them and I what I love the most about them is you're sitting across from your friends and you are for the most part just playing a game and being wholesome and honest and you know sometimes you're trying to beat the other guy and sometimes like your game night the other night you're cooperating together I think it's awesome but there are some rules to having a successful game night I'm gonna start with the first rule And I think the most important rule, and that is you got to have fun. You got to have fun. You are coming to a board game evening. Don't be so serious. Like you're not going to be there talking about all your problems and and worrying about things. You're there literally to fill a seat and have a good time. So what I would suggest as a little bit of etiquette is leave your troubles at the door. I was going to suggest to be a bit more easygoing, like go in with the intention to be easygoing. Some people are really good at board games. Other people have a hard time paying attention and sticking to rules. And I think that everyone has more fun. If someone's not a rule player, you don't go crazy. All right. Well, that leads us to the second rule I want to bring up, and that is don't get yourself distracted. You are going to be talking about rules. Somebody's going to be Spending some time explaining how a game works. What would be the rudest is if you're on the phone while that is happening. Yeah, that's true. You want to put that phone on mute. You want to put it on vibrate, something like that, and put it away far from the gaming table. Not that far, like within distance. But you don't want to be distracted when rules are happening or always asking, is it my turn or whose turn is it? Because you're on your cell phone. But can I say on a side note that the worst part of any game is the beginning when someone is explaining to you the rules of how to play the game? Absolutely. I have sat through some pretty hardcore, like somebody read all the rules to a game once and I was like, man, like this is not how you explain a game. (laughs) Let's, Let's do this too. If you are hosting a games night and you know what you want to bring to the table, kind of set yourself up to... To have a script and figure it out before so you can make it at least engaging for people. Or even if you're at a board game cafe and you pick up a brand new game, let the people of the table chat while you figure out the rules and then you can come in and explain the Notes version. Exactly. Here's my favorite rule. No bullying. 
no grudges. Blake really likes to get very competitive in his gaming. <laughs> I know he does. I've seen Ugh. it. And I hate it. I'm like, no, like, this is just a game. Why are you being so, like, intense? Not fun. My games night is not like that, but but there are times. My buddy Jordan, he's won Spyfall, like, a hundred times in a row. Or Chris has won six hands of coup back to back to back. We do end up ganging up on him, but you know, it's in good fun. For example, if ever I'm playing with my brother and I think maybe I'm not a good gamer for this reason, I just love my brother. So I'm very cooperative with him (laughs) and this drives Blake up the wall. (laughs) Well, that brings me to my next rule. You have to respect the rules. If you are teaming up with somebody else and making someone's life miserable, you are the bully, Ivana. No, I never team up. I'm just not out to get him. I still think you have to play the rules. Yeah, I do. But like, for example, okay, let's say you're playing Catan. I'll be like, okay, the last turn I was on Blake. So now I have to go on Daniel's. And then the next time I do it, I'll go on to Blake's because it's all about fairness. And I don't want to like step on anyone's toes too much. Excellent. I and and I think that leads into if you win or you lose, you know, be a congratulatory loser, but also be a humble winner. Yes. Don't be all like, I am the greatest. Not that I don't love when Blake does that. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, be a little humble. And also, if you have a guy in your group, let's just say his name is Gorin, and he wins against you every time, and you finally win against him. You make sure you take a picture for proof, like I did. That's right, Goran. <laughs> Remember that game of Ghostbusters card game? I won. I won. Another one, like this one should be totally self-evident. No cheating. It takes the fun out of gaming. Yeah, exactly. And that comes back to like, obey the rules. Don't be the guy holding back a couple and nobody can see that you have a certain amount of cubes for your Carcassonne game or a certain amount of meeples. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got all these. I'm going to throw them everywhere. What are you doing? I agree. Everybody needs to see all of that up front. Man, don't do that. (laughs) So I think if you use some of these rules that we're talking about, you will be a better board game participant and a better game night holder, haver, host. Yeah. Yeah. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. I'm very excited to talk about this. We gave you some homework the last episode. We invited you to watch the teen. I don't it's it's I don't know what genre this is. The teen movie Cruel Intentions. And I hope you guys did because we are going to get into it. It's been 20 years since this twisted teen classic Cruel Intentions hit the big screen. Not only are there loads of articles popping up all over the internet talking about how this film has not really been replicated since it's been made, but it's also back in theaters. So we invited you to watch or rewatch this 1999 cult classic with us. Cruel Intentions follows the lives of two incredibly rich teenage step-siblings, Catherine, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Sebastian, played by Ryan Philippe. Catherine is hell-bent on getting back at her ex for dumping her for a clueless new socialite, Cecile 
played by Selma Blair. By taking her down and turning her into a slutty vamp, she's passively shaming her ex-boyfriend for leaving her. And Sebastian is bored of how easily that he can bed the Upper East Side, so he bets Catherine that he can deflower the new headmaster's daughter, Annette. The terms of the bet are actually pretty kind of awesome. His classic car, if he loses, goes to her, and a sexual romp with his stepsister if he wins, and he can put it anywhere. (laughs) Catherine and Sebastian are spectacularly horrific throughout the film. Until Sebastian catches feelings for Annette and she teaches him that being a good person isn't the worst thing after all. It doesn't take long or frankly even that much for Sebastian to emotionally manipulate Annette into giving into his desires. But this time it's different. Because he loves her back. Too bad Catherine doesn't want to see her sort of bro grow as a person. She hits him right where it hurts, his pride, and he folds like Marie Kondo. He breaks up with Annette, comes back to Catherine defeated. And then she just demolishes him. She tells him that she played him like a fiddle and that he she's no longer interested in him in any way. Devastated, Sebastian tries to win Annette back, sharing his journal with her, a manifest of everything he's ever done or felt. But just as she's ready to forgive and forget, we find our characters embroiled in a dangerous street-side fistfight. Of course, Annette is there and ends up almost run over by a car, but you know, Sebastian saves her in the nick of time, sacrificing himself for the girl he loves. Ivana, where were you when you first saw this movie? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. You? Yes, I was working at the Hershey Center and I went to Coliseum Mississauga with a friend and watched this movie and I left saying it sucked. You know, it's not as good as I remember it being. I will give you that. What did you think watching it this time? So I've seen it like six times since then. Oh, shit. And every time I see it, I do like it a little bit uh, and a little bit more. I was around the three and a half mark on my last watch. And I'd say I'm still there. There's some really weird delivery and and acting coming out of Ryan Philippe. Oh, my gosh. I was just going to say, oh, is that how you say his last name? Do I say it wrong? I could be Felipe. I don't. Good old Ryan P. He, yeah, he's, um, I questionable acting choices. Let's just leave it at that. Meanwhile, Sarah Michelle Gellar is like rocking it. She is so good. Amazing. So Selma Blair. Selma Blair, like she just like dips into the kookiness of this character in a way that is delightful and really honest. And Reese Witherspoon also freaking amazing. Okay, because I I would say that Reese Witherspoon's also a little bit wooden. The thing is, her character is wooden, right? At the very end, when she's getting broken up with, I think she's really grounded in her performance. She's just doing a wooden character. Yeah, that's fair. Because I like her little devil horn scene. Totally. When she's in the car. Super endearing. I always forget that Joshua Jackson has a small part in this movie. Can I just say he's brilliant as always? I mean, he's not great, but he's so much fun to watch. The thing is, Joshua Jackson can just show up, be himself, and you're like, yes, yes, you did so good. Because he <laughs> hams the shit out of this role. Totally. When he like when he calls him on the phone, Gregory, I'm like, oh my God. Okay, this is fun. 
It's just fun. Let's talk about the problematic but very normal slang of the time, which was so homophobic. There was a lot of homophobia. When they dropped that first fudge packer, I was like, oh, wow, that's right. We used to say stupid shit like that. People are throwing around really kind of cruel terms that are very homophobic and anti-gay. And then, and yet you have... Ryan Philippe being friends with Joshua Jackson. Joshua Jackson is gay. Um, He's not ashamed of it. But then the two of them are using really horrible terms that are that are shameful. So it's just really weird to watch. And there is a whole scene where Ryan Philippe's character is going to out Greg for being gay. It's going to ruin his life. But I guess that's par for the course when you're Sebastian. I think that I would be more offended by that. If he didn't, in the very first scene where you meet him, seduce his therapist's daughter and release pictures of her naked all over the Internet and then use the same seduction lines that he did to get the daughter into bed with the mom. Yeah, of course. Well, of course, a person like that is also going to threaten to out a closeted gay man just for his own benefit. Absolutely. And everything that Sebastian does is for his own benefit. Yeah. These are not good people. No. And and they really want you to believe Sebastian's redemption at the end. And it kind of plays off well with the car and the death and the revenge. But he's still not like a good guy. Yeah, like he kind of sexually assaults Selma Blair in the middle of this movie where he gets her drinking alcohol. He kind of manipulates her into doing a sexual act that she doesn't want to do. The next day, she's still like, I didn't want to do that. What the hell happened? It's a very strange movie to watch now. And yet at the same time, like certain aspects of it, I think aged really poorly and then certain aspects like aged well i i don't know i have a question shoot all right how exactly did sebastian and annette fall in love how did that happen she made some funny faces at him and made him smile and now he's in love with her it was very bizarre that all of a sudden he was in love with her like out of nowhere like she is ready to like give up give it up and he's like (gasps) No, and shuts the door all dramatically. And I'm like, hold on. It's just such a weird realization to liking somebody or loving somebody. Like it's the weirdest reaction to loving somebody ever. For sure. Even if you don't go all the way, if you love that person, you're probably going to be like, you know what? We should wait. Or like, I am so there. Like anything. Yeah, they could have made out and he could have said, and I'm going to wait because I respect you. And maybe it's because the bet was in in play and he didn't feel right about it. And it was like a she's all that moment where, you know, like, am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet? Like, maybe it was something like that. But then to come home and be like, nope, she offered herself up, but I couldn't do it. And like, also, why tell Catherine that? Like. She's the worst. I mean, you see that in his burn book at the end. He was in love with her, Catherine. Of course. And so I think a lot of his horrible actions were like to impress Catherine. And some of the best scenes in the film are when uh, Sebastian and Catherine are together. For sure. When Catherine is laying on top of him and is like, 
I think he giving him a hand job or at least rubbing. At least rubbing. That is such a great scene when she walks away that Sebastian actually comes out of his character to be like, oh, come on. Like, you actually are like, I'm with you. <laughs> For the first time in this movie, yeah, come on. I, I I did like that moment. It was very human of him and like probably one of his like better acting moments in it. I think the, the problem with me is like, even when he gets Reese Witherspoon to say, okay, yes, we can have sex now. He's manipulated her into it by doing the same type of stuff he does to every other girl. Totally. I mean, he basically shames her for loving him so that she'll have sex with him. Exactly. And then, of course, he gets like the conscience and he runs away. And then she leaves in the morning and he chases her down. And then they just immediately have sex. Like, I don't know. It all seems too fast from that moment on. And the movie starts to feel weird. Well, and also, if we go to Cecile's, uh, I guess, boyfriend at the end of the film. Um, do you remember his name? Ron. Ronald. That's right. Ronald. Okay. Listen. You were just sleeping with his stepsister. Relax. If he had, in fact, slept with Cecile, you were sleeping around on Cecile. His, his reaction of like, I'm going to fight you now is pretty toxic. It's both toxic and it's kind of out of nowhere. He's been so cool this whole time. They just were like, how do we get Sebastian to kill himself by throwing himself in front of a car and saving? Which is also very abrupt. It's very abrupt. I always find it very funny when they when they transition immediately to that memorial face of his. I always like giggle a little at how how it just feels so quick. There's no earned moment there no. where you're upset that he is dead. The whole ending is unearned. I also feel like they'd never fully close off Catherine's revenge either. Yeah, like Catherine isn't upset really that Sebastian is dead, I guess. I mean, I don't think she is. But even her whole revenge plot against Cecile, so she gets Cecile to be somewhat more slutty. Ronald is upset about it, but she was never meaning to hurt Ronald. She was meaning to hurt the ex hurt the ex-boyfriend and he never comes back into it, at least even though I just watched it, not to my memory. No, he we never see him again. Yeah, so like there's a whole plot line that's just missing. But I think what that's trying to explain is that anybody who messes with either one of these Two stepsisters, step siblings. Yeah. You're going to get, you're going to be messing with the wrong people. Like they will just go after you. I mean, he went after his therapist for overcharging. Yeah. What was that? Right? Like, ah, she was overcharging. So I had to do her daughter and put the pictures on the internet because he's a horrible person. Yes. Yeah. There is no redemption. No redemption. I mean, I mean, the ending does work, though, which is a miracle of this movie, because it is satisfying to see Catherine get what she deserves. And the fact that Annette turns out to be smarter than you give her credit for all the way through the story 
freaking awesome. Also have no idea how she got that car. I guess he left it to her in a in his will, even though he's seems like, seems like a really quick, quick drawing up of a will. <laughs> like you are you are not even 20, but you fell in love. So you came back <laughs> and you wrote a will. I mean, that did not happen. You know, what? it doesn't matter. The image of her driving away in that car. It's fantastic. It, it ties everything up in a bow because that was the thing they were betting for. I like that he is taking this bet so that he'll be a legend at his school. Well, I'm going to have sex with the headmaster's daughter before school starts because guys in high school, that is true. You would be a legend. Especially one that said that wrote an article about how she's a virgin in Seventeen magazine. Absolutely. I mean, is there anything more 1999 than Seventeen magazine? <laughs> Only that you threw Jennifer Love Hewitt on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> was that who was on the cover? That's who's on the That's cover. That's awesome. Which is great because she was in I Know What You Did Last Summer with Sarah Michelle Gellar. And Ryan Philippe. And Ryan Philippe. Do you remember that Ryan Philippe and Reese Witherspoon like were married? Yeah, they... um. Isn't Reese Witherspoon's daughter who looks identical to her their daughter? Yes. That is one thing that I remembered in this movie. I was like, this is where they met. No, it is not where they met. Where did they meet? I I read an article that Ryan Philippe was actually already dating Reese Witherspoon and they asked him to get her on board. Maybe that article was wrong, but I think that's a pretty cool story. That's a pretty good story. I just remembered that they were married for a time for a spell and they had children together. And that's what I got out of this watch of Cruel Intentions. Did you know that it's based on dangerous liaisons? Of course I did, because I needed to know what every movie was based on in the 90s when I was in high school. So I could be cool in front of the girls and say, well... Did you see Dangerous Liaisons? (laughs) Let me tell you how many girls that racked up. Zero. (laughs) Not that women are meant to be racked up, but when you're in high school, you're dumb. All of you listening who are in high school, thank you for listening. You're dumb. What are we watching next time, Jay Kennedy? I mean, I feel like we should watch The Twilight Zone. You know what? I'm in. I love that. Let's watch The Twilight Zone and we'll report back with how it is. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to tune in again next time. If you'd like to support the show, you can hop on to your podcast service and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, why not score a quick rating or review? Our intro song comes from bensound.com and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors and sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you. So we actually built a website so that you could reach us at morethemovies.net. But in case you hate websites, we also have email. Hello at morethemovies.net. Find us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. Or catch us on Twitter. I'm at It's Ivana. And I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back again next time with an all new commercial free episode. And until then, friends. Do more. And watch more. <laughs>